You're listening to IoT Leaders, a podcast from SI that shares real IoT stories from the field about digital transformation swings and misses, lessons learned, and innovation strategies that work. In each episode, you'll hear our conversations with top digitization leaders on how IoT is changing the world for the better. Let IoT Leaders be your guide to IoT, digital transformation, and innovation. Let's get into the show. Hello, this is Nick Earl, CEO of SI, and in this week's episode, we have a first repeat guest. It's Stefan, Stefan Sorrell of Kaleido Intelligence. He's the co-founder and the head of research. They're a company, UK-based uh, analyst uh, company, but with clients all the way around the world, and they're in a very hot space. They were probably the first analyst company to form specifically to look at the issues of IoT connectivity, and actually even within that, specifically to look at the issues of roaming. And that was our first podcast when we talked about that. But the reason that Stefan's agreed to appear again is in the episode you're about to hear, they've now done, in conjunction with a a series of sponsors of which SI was one, what we believe is the world's largest IoT survey uh, for over 750 companies who responded and talking about what they found difficult in their IoT projects, and at some level of detail. And the results are pretty surprising. Uh, You'll hear them as we go through it. And they're surprising in the sense of, I mean, we know it's difficult, but we actually, for the first time, got some very granular information and on uh, what the difficulties are. And uh, without doing the spoiler, the the biggest issue of all is one that, uh, certainly from an SI point of view, we always said it was the biggest issue. In fact, it was the primary reason for founding our company. But an awful lot of people have said, no, 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 that's not an issue. That's not an issue. And now what you'll hear is 84% of respondents said, no, this issue is the biggest thing that they found. So we felt pretty good about that. But there's a lot more detail here. Stefan has all the data. And we've got an analysis of the survey on our webpage, together with the approaches for dealing with these issues and Kaleido, of course, are the people with um, all of the data and all of the survey, which if you really wanted to, I think it goes to about 90 pages. So it's very, very extensive and it's truly global as a survey. So without further ado, uh, let me hand you over to my chat with Stefan Sorrell, who is the co-founder and the chief research officer of Kaleido Intelligence. Here we go. Hello, Stefan, and welcome to the IoT Leaders podcast. Hey, Nick. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. I think, actually, before we start, that you hold uh, the dubious distinction of being the first visitor <laughs> on our podcast, and that's because we have a different subject to uh, talk about today, which we're going to get into. That's this survey that you've carried out, and we were one of the sponsors, and so we were pretty pleased, frankly, we were pretty pleased with the results. We thought it, it uh, gave some actual hard data and proof points of, of what We've been talking about for a while, but I'm sure we'll come on to that. But just sort of uh, warm things up and ease everybody into this. Maybe you can just describe um, the survey and, you know, the number of people, types of people, methodologies, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, essentially, the survey was born out of the fact that, you know, there are a lot of surveys out there for IoT, but there's very few that are actually focused on the connectivity as the main subject. So that was really the starting point to understand what are the pain points what are we missing in the industry? What do enterprises need? So um, 
as you mentioned, we collaborated with yourselves as a sponsor for other firms and also in conjunction with IoT Now to engage with uh, 759 respondents in the end, um, so enterprises from all around the world through a combination of IoT Now's reach, through our own reach, as well as a survey uh, panel that we frequently engage with, really to, as far as I know, produce the largest ever uh, enterprise-directed survey focused on cellular IoT connectivity. And, and yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that's when we've been talking about it internally, and obviously we've done a webinar on this as well, but the, I believe it was companies above a 1,000 employees, have I got that right? 70% of respondents were uh, okay. those with over 1,000. Yeah. Pretty meaty. And yeah, I don't know of, obviously being an IoT company, we... We look at a lot of research and whatever, but I've never seen a survey that asked so many people so many questions. <laughs> um, must have found a lot of patient people because uh, I suspect this wasn't a five minute. If you've got a minute, can you just answer a few yes, no questions? I mean, it's pretty meaty, right? And we're going to get into that. Yeah, that's right. So we had two distinct paths within the survey. So we were interested in perceptions and views across the different uh, landscape. So first of all, we were looking at whether respondents were uh, current or previous cellular IoT adopters. So having direct knowledge of their uh, projects and experiences, and also those who had not had so far a cellular IoT deployment. So we really wanted to understand and contrast uh, opinions through there. And we also directed respondents according to the various verticals they're from. So this is going to be a good one, see if I trip up here. Uh, so we had uh, transport and logistics, manufacturing and industrial, energy utilities, uh, healthcare and smart cities uh, verticals. So those are kind of the well, key. <laughs> <laughs> That's without having a little post-it at the side of you. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I did at that point. But no, yeah. I got it there in the end. When you say something like that, you say there were five things and you, you start saying them and you think, oh my God, I oh. could, I've only got four in my head. <laughs> it arrives before it does. Yep. So a big comprehensive survey and I mean, it's tens of pages, the output. We're not going to go through that. Mm -hmm. But um, I think there is about six key takeaways, at least from an SI perspective, mm -hmm. that we thought were interesting. And I mean, we should really set a bit of context here. We've been talking for years about IoT is difficult, way more difficult than it should be. Loads of data, you know, the we talked about on this podcast, you and me have uh, before, I mean, there's going to be 50 billion things connected by 2020. There were 11 billion. I mean, you know, it wasn't a small miss. Yeah. It was darts. We didn't just miss the dartboard. I think we hit another wall in terms of that prediction. We threw the dart backwards. You know, user, uh, the number of Gartner have said 80% of all projects fail. You know, it's pretty doom and gloom. And what we liked about this survey is you actually managed by finding so many people who were either, as you say, experienced or have not yet started or in the early stages of, of experimentation, shall we say, you actually got sort of below some of the headline takeaways to find out, okay, so when you say it was difficult, what was difficult for listeners? So it's percentage of people who identified these factors, we're going to go through six, as being the things that really are difficult. And they could identify more than one, couldn't they? So all the percentages for all six don't add up exactly to 100 because someone can say, well, I found A, B, and C, difficult yeah. and say, well, I found B, D, and F difficult. And so there's different percentages. Mm -hmm. But some of the numbers are, having said that, pretty surprising. 
as are maybe the things that they found difficult. And that's sort of a prompt for the first one. Let's quickly rattle through yeah. six takeaways. Having said that there's industry vertical cuts, there's there's a hundred plus takeaways, but the six biggest ones, maybe we can just quickly rattle through these and then talk about yeah. how as an industry we think we can make progress on all of these areas. Yeah, so the, the major one here to begin with is hardware. So 84% of the uh, unique respondent base stated that uh, hardware design is a very complex and difficult challenge for them for deploying IoT. And this is something, you know, you and I discussed in the last time we were on this podcast. It's not an off-the-shelf market. You need certain customizations. You need testing to ensure that your device works on uh, network A, network B, and so on. And also, you have a situation where a lot of uh, enterprises are not coming from the world of uh, 3GPP, so the cellular standard. They're used to Wi-Fi or other That's types right. of communications yeah. technologies. So they have to grapple with all of these different issues. They don't suddenly want to become a cellular or whether there's public networks, there's now private LTE, people can buy their own spectrum. I mean, this is an area that is, it's called hardware for a reason, and it's getting harder because it's, it's fragmenting. And oh, yeah. Lord, yeah. Uh, satellite, what about 5G, network slicing, QoS? A lack of knowledge in the markets. To give you an example, I was in a, in a call the other day where you just mentioned private networks, and uh, the guy on the call mentioned uh, the customer wasn't even aware that you needed a SIM card to help her to set up the, the private LTE network. So, A little bit of a journey. It's not surprising that A, people don't want that expertise, B, they don't want to do it in the first place, but C, we thought as an industry we'd left it all behind. I mean, mm. it was all about software, right? I mean, software eats hardware, you know, Mark Andreessen. Yep. <laughs> and so suddenly here, 84% of respondents said the number one issue was hardware design. And yet, very, very few... IoT companies and no, as far as I know, no MO, no mobile network operators have hardware expertise in their portfolio. It's kind of a what's wrong <laughs> with this picture? What's wrong with this picture? We were quite like that one, I have to admit. That's I we like that one because when we saw it, we said, finally, finally somebody understands. I mean, you know, why did you buy when we're raising money? You know, what why do you have a hardware business? Why did you buy a hardware design company? Yeah, it's important. Oh, no, it's all about SaaS. It's all about the software in the future. And then suddenly now here's the data that said, this is the number one issue. So we, this is the one that we, uh, was the first survey we'd ever seen. So I wanted to thank you uh, for that. So that's a big issue. I mean, nothing happens without the hardware. The hardware delivers yep. the experience. And people just, they recognize at least now that this is a big problem. So that's kind of interesting, finding number one. What was the next one after hardware? So the second one was related to the perceived complexity of the connectivity ecosystem. So 56% of the unique respondents saying that the need to, so thinking about on an international stage, the need to engage with many different connectivity service providers is a key challenge. And you can have a scenario where if you're deploying in, in country A, I mean, that's all fine. You just uh, work with one network provider. But if that network provider doesn't have service capabilities in another country that you want to ship and use your devices in, then you're going to have to go with a different partner. And then, for instance, you've got two different instances of connectivity management platforms. You've got 
two different instances of invoicing and uh, integrations for analytics and so on, different uh, possibly different levels of service provision for support and things like that. So when you amplify that to X number of countries, then you've got a serious problem on your hands because everything related to that means additional cost and time for your business. And it's very hard to measure that cost. And this speaks, I think, to, you know, when people listening to this, they think, you know, how did we end up here? I mean, we've been doing cellular for 40 years. Mm. But the point is that if it's mobile phone, these things aren't issues. I mean, take that first two. They're not, not issues. Somebody designed the phone. You didn't design your own phone. Secondly, your phone is global. You can go around, you can roam. And But point is that you only have one phone, not 10,000 or 100,000 phones. Mm. And secondly, you typically go to a country and come back. And I know we'll get on to roaming, but it also speaks to the fragmented nature of the industry, doesn't it? Because, yeah. you know, with 800 plus mobile network operators, none of them... Even the best of the best of the best struggles to get above 80% true global connectivity, and that's the biggest of them all, then you are basically having to build the car yourself out of the parts, which is an unsustainable value proposition. You have to be the aggregator as the user. And that's what, as you say, the survey saying 56% of respondees said, I have yeah. to glue all this together and manage multiple portals, yeah. APIs, pricing, contract. These things all sound crazy. People, you know, looking at it from the outside saying, how did we end up here? You know, but the fact is, it's here. This is where we are. When you consider IoT, I mean, the, doing a sort of napkin calculation, the margins per device, are, you know, they're not high unless you're in very specific industry verticals. So any additional cost that you have to roll out your deployment is damaging the overall business case, to be honest. And it's a surprise to your management. I mean, obviously, we sell 100% global. Uh, connectivity, but we also have an ROI tool that we work with customers to try and identify prospects to try and identify the hidden costs of what does it actually cost to manage two platforms and to have, I mean, basically the cost is the extra people you have to have to take data out of all these systems and squash it together so that when you go to management, you present a unified view of the data, you may end up having six, seven people you know, certainly in a logical corporation, all going into different platforms and all looking at pricing and contracts and what and this changing things. So again, proprietary silos, not a global solution. That's 56%. We're going down the percentages. So what was the third most common reason for uh, people struggling? Okay, so this was uh, an interesting one. Again, related to the current perceived state of the connectivity ecosystem. So 51% of unique respondents feel that connectivity performance, quality of service when deploying across international markets is not good enough. So that's really an issue of you know, what respondents are thinking about the current state of both roaming as well as uh, localization. Because you know, roaming or the way that it's set up today is really on a best efforts basis. And it's also the technical nature of it means that you have higher latency than when you do on a domestic connection. So sometimes you might want to localize for to improve that performance, to reduce the latency, or you want to engage with a, a provider who's going to be able to have some you know, local infrastructure for the routing of, of data. But that's not really common today. And of course, not that many 
providers enable a relatively simple way to localize the connection. Of course, here I'm talking about things like uh, EUICC or eSIM exactly. uh, as one option. Um, you know, while a lot of MNOs do support eSIM for their customers, it's actually when when the customer wants to migrate to a different profile, that means that the everything moves from one platform to another. And then you you go back to the challenge that we just talked about. Yeah, it's like changing the SIM in your phone. That's right. And what people tell us is that, and I think this is a really important, because uh, a lot of people are claiming that EUICC solves everything, but actually, arguably, EUICC in the form of eSIM and profile switching makes things, I would argue, makes things worse if you don't solve that problem that you just talked about. Because if EUICC SIMs, facilitate a quicker transfer between operators, then actually you're going to get, I mean, we've seen you know, marketing collateral from people who say, oh, we have EUICC, which means you can now transfer across 200 vendors, hmm. operators. And you start thinking, oh my God, that's 200 platforms, 200 sets of APIs, 200 pricings, 200 support calls, hmm. 200 different companies. I mean, that's actually making things worse. And to your point about localization, People have to ask the second question, which is, well, when you transfer, are you roaming or localizing? Because your point about latency is if the data is being, you know, beautiful technical term, tromboned, (laughs) if the data is being, let's take Vodafone GDSP, which is a great solution, but everything is, it's roaming out of the Netherlands, VFNL, Vodafone Netherlands. So, you know, we have a lot of customers in Africa and your data is being tromboned back to the Netherlands and then back into the local country. Yeah. And so you got from a latency point of view. And so one of the questions that, that we have to ask is, no, can you actually localize, i.e. not roam, across multiple operators, therefore uh, keep the data in country, data sovereignty reasons, latency reasons, and can you actually have a collection of MNOs that you can localize onto from a single eSIM mm-hmm. so that you don't make things worse by switching the IMSI and then doing even more roaming. And you can, and this comes out from this part of the survey. And most people, I know we can localize onto 16 operators from one SIM and then roam to a total of 700, but 16 localized connections from one SIM. But most people are using, today at least, using EUICC to enhance roaming yeah, And again, this is coming out and people are saying, well, that's not a global solution. That's to some extent making things worse. And therefore, they go for different sims as they get back to where they started. Yeah. yeah. When we talk to the uh, RSP guys, so the remote sim provisioning guys, the Thales, GNDs, Idemias, Truefones, and so on. So those are the, the guys who are, are managing that over the year. Uh, subscription and, and switching at the back end for eSIM. Invariably, they say, for the majority of customers in today's present environment, eSIM is just there for insurance purposes. So what that means is, like you say, they're using uh, the, the actual connectivity provider is using a roaming profile with that sort of extra assurance for the enterprise saying, if there's some serious trouble, you can switch uh, yeah. networks. It's, but- it's sort of last resort. You can pull the red handle and, and something yeah. will happen. But we don't expect to be using it on a day-to-day operation. Exactly, because you know, you're going to be looking at the way that uh, a lot of providers have deployed it. You're going to be looking at quite a substantial cost to actually migrate those devices onto another platform. Of course, the technical reason for that, again, for listeners, is because 
ESIM is like the tip of the iceberg. Which we've done a webinar on this recently. It's the bit of ice above the water, and it looks nice and small and you know manageable. But when you go below the waterline, the billing engines, the RS, the SMSR, which does the switch, they're all resident at all the other bits of functionality, the SMDP, the IMSI ranges, and et cetera. It's all resident within each operator. Mm-hmm. So if all you're doing is passing the connection between operators under the waterline, then actually it doesn't solve the problem. You're just basically roaming. And because the things get worse, the incentive is, is you're still primarily with one operator whose financial incentive is to hold on to the connection, not to roam, because it means they're giving revenue away. So you've got to take the stuff from under the waterline and abstract it and make it agnostic so that you have choice of where you get your data from, which we call BYOC, bring your own contract. But the, the real question I think is, in order for all of this to work, and we'll get onto that at the end, is the control of the switching rules and the logic must be in the hand of the users not in the hands of the people who have the proprietary interest to keep the connection on their own network. And so the question is, who controls the switch? So there's another uh, uh, way of looking at it. All right, number three, we need to keep going. So that's three. Number four, what's the fourth biggest um, inhibitor that the survey said? Okay, so another interesting one related to something you touched upon earlier. So 48% of respondents saying that uh, robust global coverage is lacking. And this is, you know, Something that you mentioned earlier, so your biggest tier ones, they do have significant coverage, but they still have black spots. They still have areas where they are only able to access, let's say, one roaming partner. And when you get into a situation like that, you might have your device operating in the field with a poor signal, for example, because it's not able to attach to a more optimal network or because it might be outside of the main coverage footprint, then you know while they may be able to service it, then you're also looking at inflated costs for your connectivity. You know, Really what the respondents are looking for is for a provider to say, okay, we can provide connectivity in country X, but you know, you're gonna have a choice of network providers and you know, you're not gonna be forced onto networks that you don't want, which might impact either pricing or performance as well. It's really education talking to people who say, well, what do you mean that isn't global coverage? Because especially the people who haven't started implementation yet, because they think there is global coverage, because again, back to mobile phones, cell phones, there is global coverage. But of course, the, when you look at the stats on the website, the coverage is per head of population, not per mm-hmm. GPS coordinate, number one. And that's because the CapEx model to fund the towers is massively expensive. Mm-hmm. So you can't put towers everywhere. You put towers where the population is. But IoT devices are not necessarily where the population is. So straight away, you've got a mismatch. And then because of, not everybody does a roaming agreement with everybody else. Mm-hmm. So you have a series of walled gardens. And you may have a roaming agreement in a country. But as you say, the data rates might be really, really expensive. So the question is, well, I can roam you, but your bill goes up. I mean, really, the customers are saying, look, why can't it just be interop? Why can't we have interoperability? And why can't I choose? And there's a fundamental structural issue why you can't do that, because there is no such thing as a mega global MO mm. that has towers everywhere and a roaming agreement with everybody else. And there never will be. And therefore, by definition, there will never be global coverage at that level of the stack. It has to be an MNO type play that is truly agnostic. That's a uh, pretty big one. Typically, what we find is 
when after people have done their first IoT project, then they understand this issue. But going into it, they think, no, that can't be the case. I, I get roaming yeah. everywhere. And the answer is, yeah. um, no, you don't. And your business case is predicated on 100% connectivity. We talked about verticals. You know, 92% of hard monitors being able to uh, connect is not a great <laughs> Yeah. And so uh, that's a really big issue. All right, that's four. How about number five? So coming in closely to um, the previous one, and this is a, an interesting topic that we discussed in our last podcast together. So 46% of respondents raised concerns over the number of countries that are restricting permanent roaming. Yeah. So permanent roaming, just for the listeners, is basically your IoT device lands in the country and it spends longer. There's no strict definition, but we typically say longer than 90 consecutive days. And often it can be very longer, uh, very much longer than that, you know, up to years in a single country roaming. And, you know, national regulatory authorities, as well as MNOs, are starting to look at this and say, hang on, how does this affect our networks? What, how does this affect our business? Should we be doing something about it? And some of those organizations are saying, okay, we are no longer allowing permanent running at a legislative level, or in some MNO's case, they are not allowing permanent roaming from a commercial perspective. Yes. So then you have a, a, a big risk, essentially. But it's dynamic, isn't it, yeah. Stefan? It's not like the rules are laid out into the wall and everybody knows. These things can, I mean, by in two hours' time, there could be a change, probably will be a change somewhere in the world yeah. of either an MNO who's fallen out with another MNO and says, I'm not accepting roaming anymore until a commercial dispute is closed off. Or a country could say, I want to protect the local operator, therefore I'm imposing a you know, 90-day rule can be generous. I mean, some of them are 30-day rules. And the notification period for getting off, we've seen this, the shortest we've seen is four hours, a notice to get off the network within four hours, which again, if you think about some of the business critical use cases for IoT, it's just impossible. And you can't swap the SIM in a device or anything like that. Again, it's an industry structural issue isn't it it's not surprising regulators are doing this because you want to protect especially if you're a smaller country you want to protect your operator but but having said that the largest country in the world has permanent roaming restrictions the the us mm -hmm. have permanent roaming rules which surprises a lot of people places like brazil india yeah. china turkey which is a famous one so there's large parts of the world where roaming is not allowed by the operators and not allowed by the regulators so yes, another complexity for IoT project manager. We are going to get into, so what's the answer? But if we can just pile on the issues, because the deserved data is really important, is this is 750 plus people who said, this is what I found out. So the last one, what was the last one? Uh, and then we'll stop. So 42% respondents raising concerns over security of devices and the environment. And, you know, this is not really a surprising statistic. Uh, when you look at any IoT survey, Security is always a big topic, especially when you're deploying these devices en masse. You could have you know, real consequences if you know, there's some kind of confidentiality breach and perhaps even more likely the loss of connectivity availability. So we talked just now about permanent roaming and how you could potentially lose access to your devices within 
four hours, as you said. You know, the similar situation could happen in terms of a security breach. And then you could lose access to your devices for, for God knows how many hours. And what does that mean from a monetary perspective? You could lose access to your job as well. If it, if exactly. It's, <laughs> uh, it's one of the biggest uh, reasons for um, changes, not just at the individual level, but the CXO. And arguably, the fragmentation of the industry and the component solutions in it all make this last point even more important because you're having to deal with multiple companies to implement an IoT project, then you're having to implement multiple security solutions. And then how on earth? So you're not only having to coordinate the operators, you're having to coordinate the security solutions. So, I mean, let's stop there. And I know there's many, many more questions in the survey. And as you said, the survey, you know, is some of the data has been published uh, with uh, IoT now, with the publication. And just before we get into, okay, so what do we need to do about it? If people want to find out more about the survey and how can people actually get access to the full survey, is it contact Kaleido Intelligence? Yes, you can contact us uh, via info at kaleidointelligence.com and and we can point you in the right direction. Okay, so that's K-A-L-E-I-D-O. Yep. (laughs) Kaleidoscope. Okay, great. Let's just move now to, okay, so what's going to happen next? Clearly... You know, this is a scenario which where we're trying to take individual component parts, massive complexity, and we've put the onus on the customer, despite what the industry says, and all the working groups uh, to try and sort things out. The fact is that the reality is, is that the customers are having to glue solutions together themselves to make them work, and they're not succeeding. And it's one of the reasons, back to that stat, that, you know, we didn't get to 50 billion devices, we got to 11 you know, another way of saying it is we've not crossed the chasm um, yet. We're in the early innovators and the early adopters, and we have to cross the chasm and get into Main Street. So you're head of research for uh, Kaleido and co-founder. What do you think? It seems like this is not an area that needs small incremental tweaks. There needs to be some pretty fundamental changes here because it's not a sustainable situation when you get, you know, 80%, 60% of people. It's not like we're talking about 8% and 6% having difficulties. These are pretty fundamental stats which uh, don't reflect great on the IoT industry and the players. So what's your take on what's going to happen perhaps over uh, the next two to three years that would hopefully Give us a bit of hope. We'll hopefully make it a lot easier because there's no shortage of demand for IoT and the mm-hmm. business benefits of IoT. People are wanting to do it. So what do you think are the big things that are happening in the industry that will, will help this, knowing it's not going to be a short-term fix? Maybe touching first on the hardware side, I think what we're seeing is you know the connectivity is more and more part of the early conversation among enterprises when they're looking to deploy. So it kind of makes sense that you need to have that hardware expertise ready to help that potential customer from the outset to help them decide, you know, which radio technology are they going to use? This is another stat, which I can't remember off the the top of my head, but, you know, there was quite a substantial proportion of respondents saying, you know, they're confused by the number of different radio access standards. Yeah, that's right. And of course, they get sunsetted. On a regular exactly, basis. yeah. We're just in the middle of, uh, or just you know, really starting to kick into gear in terms of 2G is going to go away, 3G is going to go away. Then what are you going to use instead? Do you have a fallback option? Are these technologies going to be working in the country that you want, for example, with narrowband IoT or LTM, for example? So I know you guys have hardware expertise to, to help customers in that respect, but I would hope 
that we would see more of that across the ecosystem. I think we're already seeing some of these hardware players to a relatively limited extent offering a sort of a bundled connectivity and, and hardware solution. So those kind of things are starting to crop up. I would expect that to increase in future. And we think that it's not just bespoke hardware design. I mean, we, we've done hundreds of bespoke hardware designs uh, where you build in future protection, as you say, but it's also the ability to have scalable hardware design. So um, sort of a firmware applet in the device, mm -hmm. um, which will solve a lot of the issues because they, it's not just the RAT type, the radio access type, it's the battery life management which is key for a lot of devices. The way the modem interfaces with the connectivity, the device management uh, capabilities, the, what's called lightweight M2M. These are all the sort of acronyms that people <laughs> will get to understand when they dive into these projects. But your ability to actually get granular level information of what's going on in the device to manage the device. I mean, really the SIM, it isn't a SIM, back to the earlier thing. It's a small computer, which also has SIM capabilities, in the edge aggregation device space, it's 80% of the applications mm. are processed at the edge. So it's a computer designed for specialist tasks, which is different for every use case. So yes, I agree yeah. with you. It is very surprising that more people don't offer hardware uh, type expertise. And I personally think it's because the VCs and most companies are private and the VCs don't like investing in hardware companies. I honestly think that that's one of the reasons people have steered clear. Mm. The opposite view, but um, which is why we focus on these big, big deployments. But I do believe that it's blame Mark Andreessen. Software is going to be <laughs> hardware. And we've all swallowed the Kool-Aid on that. And now we're suddenly realizing, oh, well, maybe, maybe it's important. But there are very, very few companies that can do this that also understand IoT. There's hardware companies, but to design a board, but whatever. Hardware expertise has to has to come up. What about if I can put you on the spot and ask you some predictions? That you're a specialist in roaming. Clido is well known, arguably the best analyst firm that's out there in roaming. What's your view on? Is there going to be an outbreak of peace? Is everyone going to do permanent roaming with everybody else, and there'll never be any any uh, things cut off in the future? Or was that wishful thinking? I think we're at a very important stage of IoT roaming. So in the last few years, we've seen more and more demand for dedicated IoT agreements among roaming partners, rather yeah. than just using the, uh, let's call them gray routes, where they were just uh, using their consumer agreements to run. I think that was quite apparent um, during the pandemic. A lot of MNOs suddenly found they still have a lot of roaming going on. Where's that coming from? No one's traveling. Uh, one operator <laughs> to us is because no one was traveling, no one was using their, their phones abroad. So the water level dropped. And when the water level dropped, suddenly these shapes emerged that were under the water and they were called IoT roaming <laughs> devices yeah. permanently in country. They went, What on earth is that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then yeah. they went, How profitable are those contracts? And that's the point at which they went, went Oh my word, there's this. Yeah. So the pandemic actually exposed the problems with IoT roaming. We're starting to see more commercial activity for dedicated IoT interoperator tariff agreements. The question is, you know, in the case of things like narrowband IoT or LTEM, when you charge based on consumption metrics at the wholesale level, the current transferred account procedure framework, so the TAP framework, 
that's done on a daily basis. Sometimes you might not have accumulated enough data to actually register a, a record. Effectively, some people could be using their NBIoT or LTM devices for free, effectively. It's not profitable. It's not sustainable. So we're moving to a new framework called Billing and Charging eSolution, which will introduce new types of wholesale agreements. Perhaps for an NBIoT device, you could charge by the number of devices that were active on your network via a monthly recurring charge. That should help uh, in terms of profitability. But of course, the fact that you know, arranging those roaming agreements takes time to migrate from TAP to BCE is another hurdle or certainly a perceived hurdle that MNOs think they have to overcome. And then, of course, you have to work out what is sustainable in terms of that charge and actually gaining some subtraction. How long will those agreements stay in place? I was talking to a, a utility a metering company the other day. We talked about the meters are in the ground for 15 years, and they said 15, oh, yeah. a certain country, a, a certain operator said, oh, don't worry, we've got permanent roaming agreement in place for narrowband IoT in that country. So, said, well, we've never seen any of these roaming agreements be more than a year for a start. Mm. So, you know, the meter's going to be in there 15 years. As you said, data prices coming down to zero. People are creating new economic models to try and get some money in because no one's making any money. Hmm. You know, you have to ask yourself the question, is roaming fatally flawed? And if so, given that you have all these operators, what is the model? And, of course, our view, which regular listeners will know, is that it's the Star Alliance. It's you distribute the connectivity, but you don't roam, you localize Mm-hmm. So that the operator per country, like Star Alliance in the airline industry, is actually very, very happy. And the customer, it's not that you never roam, it's just you don't roam as much. And the customer's risk profile is dramatic. You're not going to get kicked off for localization. It's even yeah. But again, that is a model that takes a long time. It means it interconnects along a certain way. And most operators haven't yet done a UICC IoT stack. So they're doing what's called global title redirect for non So you have EUICC and non EUICC. So the roaming model is certainly compared to a year ago, there's a lot more discussion on roaming and what it will mean. And I think the pandemic did drain the swamp, which a lot of people are saying, I'm not going to do any roaming at the very, very low end because I can't make money on it. I mean, mm. I want to be a good citizen, but I can't make money. That's not great for the industry. So you know, another thing that we do is even just to say, well, where can you roam? I mean, where is there narrowband IoT roaming? I don't mean by country or by operator. Mm. Is it on that street corner outside there? Is there a narrowband signal? Yeah. So the idea of network sniffers, we've certainly created network sniffers for installers, where you can actually sniff the networks to see what's the reality versus what it says on the website. Because at the end of the day, it's the reality that counts. And if it's a fixed machine, you can't move it to find the signal. Hmm. If it's fixed, it's fixed. So I think the roaming model is flawed and there we see activate, we see uh, device charging, a lot of creativity in charging models from operators right now to try mm-hmm. and get around that like no one's making money. So a very changeable environment. There's still people trying to make the model work, but no one's really made it work. Yet. Yeah, exactly. It's quite a, a manual process and complex too. It's a lot of work for a lot of people. Let me ask you one other one. The eSIM EUICC, so the holy grail is, don't worry, cavalry is coming, but don't worry, EUICC is going to solve all of this. The EUICC is, and the eSIM is going to solve all this. I gave the view that actually right now could actually make things worse 
Do you think EUICC and eSIM will cause a sort of shakeout in the industry in that, you know, there's, I saw some surveys that there's over a thousand companies in the IoT space. We've seen industry moves uh, such as, you know, we've seen people pull out of the IoT business. We've even seen the biggest IoT player of all, Vodafone, announces potential spin-out yep. of their IoT business, which is pretty big news. And yet, at the same time, we see, you know, interoperability and uh, EUICC standards going to solve all the issues. We've also got the hyperscalers, who, of course, are um, are truly global. I mean, yep. there's no such thing as a regional hyperscaler solution that's truly global. I guess what I'm trying to say is, do you think the landscape will fundamentally change over the next two to three years without being specific on any one company? I think it will. And we're already starting to see signs of that when we look at eSIM from an MNO perspective. You know, as I said, there's quite a few of them who do support eSIM, but as I mentioned, it's kind of that stunted, shall we say, uh, mechanism where you're, if you want to switch, you're migrating from everything from platform A to platform B, and that creates a headache. We are starting to see some signs that MNOs are willing to be a little more collaborative in that respect. I think they're starting off with their operated groups in the first instance. Not to mention the fact that more MNOs are now willing to play a role at the wholesale level, where, for example, they're willing to supply their profile to MDNO. Yeah, it's part of a broader shift, isn't it, to there's been a lot of commentary on that recently is that the MVNO star is in the ascendancy. More and more people are saying, well, the, there's a lot of things we have to solve, but it, it seems like it needs to be an MVNO solution. And therefore, there's and more MNOs are being more cooperative through their wholesale agreements to the MVNOs. Yep. And that seems to be a trend. I mean, when you take China out of the equation yeah. and you look at the rest of the IoT market, we've seen higher growth from IoT MVNOs overall versus MNOs. And yeah. there's a big reason for that. And that's because, as you mentioned, you can have agnostic type model where in the case of the eSIM, you're aggregating different profiles across a single platform to help optimize yeah. that solutions. And that's not typically been available through MNO strategies. It has led to some inflexibility for their customers. Which the survey shows. Uh, yes. It's <laughs> a fairly minor description of what the survey. I'm conscious of time, Stefan. It's such a big subject. And this is the second time around we've um, addressed it. Uh, so what I'm going to suggest is that we, I'm sure we're going to revisit it. I'm, I'm sure there'll be a three-peat, as the American says. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll do it again because this landscape is changing so fast. I guess the good news is from your perspective, there's certainly, there's so many questions around this space that you're actually positioned at the heart of the issues in, in IoT right now. So from a Kaleido intelligence point of view, you're a very relevant analyst firm because you're at the heart of these issues. So I'm sure that keeps you busy. Okay. Um, and from I would just say to listeners, from, um, from an SI point of view, we do have a lot of information on our website, on the survey, a lot more detail than we've gone into here, plus how SI addresses each of these issues with our model. I would really encourage you to look at that because we were very encouraged, as I said at the beginning, about these results because they, in many cases, we felt they were an endorsement of some of the architectural decisions that we've taken years ago um, around the subjects that we've talked about. But in the meantime, Stefan, I wanted to thank you again for uh, doing this. 
I need to get you a badge with a two time <laughs> is the wrong for it badge on and, and we'll see what happens. But it does certainly feel like if we were to repeat this again in early 2023, I think that probably the landscape would have changed fundamentally again, because certainly my experience of IT, whenever you get stats like this, which is pretty rare, but if you get stats that says 84% think this or 56% struggling with that, you know, this is not a sustainable situation. The industry will change driven by consumer demand and consumer spending. And so it could be we are about, we're on the verge of a pretty big change in the industry. And it has to be because the demand for IoT and what it can do for society, et cetera, is huge. So I'm kind of optimistic that when you get data like this, change is on the way. But I don't guess we've been here before, haven't we? We've, uh, we've <laughs> We shall see. I hope so. Just I think things are things are happening. Let's see uh, whether they are successful or not. Yeah, we will. Okay, um, so let's leave it there for our listeners. Uh, you've been listening to uh, IoT Leaders podcast with me, your host Nicole, CEO of SI, and with my repeat guest Stefan Sorrell, co-founder and head of research for Kaleido Intelligence analyst firm. And uh, on the big subjects for IoT, and these really are the big subjects because, as we said the largest survey that at least we're aware of and many other people are aware of that's ever been done uh, across the largest number of corporations. And they all were very patient and answered the most number of questions. And we've only skimmed the surface of the research. So I very much encourage you uh, to either come to our website or Stefan's and, and to find out more information. If you're starting an IoT project, you can do a lot worse than find out what the issues are before you get started. That's probably the net takeaway here, given 80% of projects fail. Educate yourself on what the issues are before you plunge in, because you can get through these issues, but you have to navigate uh, your path. So Stefan, thanks very much as always for this. Yes. I look forward to speaking to you again, where we uh, hopefully talk about how we've made progress as an industry on, on this uh, in a few months time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nick. Always enjoy these discussions. Yeah, okay, great, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to IoT Leaders, a podcast brought to you by SI. Our team delivers innovative global IoT cellular connectivity solutions that just work, helping our customers deploy differentiated experiences and disrupt their markets. Learn more at si.com. You've been listening to IoT Leaders, featuring digitization leadership on the front lines of IoT. Our vision for this podcast is to be your guide to IoT and digital disruption, helping you to plot the right route to success. We hope today's lessons, stories, strategies, and insights have changed your vision of IoT. Let us know how we're doing by subscribing, rating, reviewing, and recommending us. Thanks for listening. Until next time.